Welcome to the show where creatives chop it up and talk all things music, arts, and culture. I'm your host, Cassius Cruz, and this is Cassie's World. In today's episode, we'll cover Cardi B and the dilemma of ghostwriters in hip-hop, Brockhampton's new $15 million deal with RCA, and why abusive men are winning right now in hip-hop. Welcome to Cassie's World. So if you've been on the internet in the last few days, you'd know that a lot of controversy came with the release of Cardi B's latest single, Be Careful, when someone on Twitter brought attention to a video of an artist named Partisan Fontaine, aka Party, rapping the lyrics to Be Careful to the same exact beat over a year ago on Instagram. Now, it was found out that he's actually credited on the track through his songwriting moniker, Jordan Thorpe, and Cardi B responded to these discoveries through a tweet on Twitter where she basically gloated that her and Partisan are both making money off the track. So why are you mad? Now look, ghostwriting is a thing in hip hop. It has been forever and it's never going to stop. As long as there's a market for ghostwriting, I'm pretty sure there's going to be ghostwriting. And even, you know, two of our hip-hop Cash King CEOs, Dr. Dre and Love, formerly known as Diddy, are known to have ghostwriters. Kanye West is also said to have made use of ghostwriters on multiple occasions. And I think the discrepancy comes in when we're talking about corporate hip-hop or we're talking about street hip-hop. Corporate hip-hop is about production, product. And I think it's more akin to pop music. It's the status quo in pop music to have multiple writers on a song, and I think the difference is that we're open about it, which is why I think this sort of sort of kind of openness about the Cardi situation is a step in the right direction. A step, because in pop music, the playing field is more level because of the openness about who's writing what. Hip-hop wants to go in that direction, but she still wants to be shady about it, which she is in hip-hop, which is why we don't have... We have these problems because the playing field is not level. It's unfair to put an artist who is writing all their material up against an artist who isn't, you know, and compare their bodies of work as if it's equal in some way. Not to say someone's work is less valuable than the other, but it would be apples and oranges and it's unfair. It's unfair to put a Cardi B up against a Nicki Minaj when Nicki Minaj is writing all of her rap material and Cardi B has an army of writers. And I'm just using them as an example because Be Careful has a ton of writers on it. But still, Cardi never explicitly confirmed that Party had written her rhyme for her. And sometimes reference tracks are used to demonstrate ideas for delivery. But at least in pop music, it's clear who's doing what. There's no smoke and mirrors. We know that Beyonce doesn't write all her material alone. We can appreciate the contribution she does make. And Nasia can get her due respect for writing most of it most if not all of her material and there's no fake competition I think that everyone should get their due respect but when people are fudging it quietly it kind of waters it down people should be credited for what they've done and and I think we can go from there I think we can appreciate art more once it was coming from an honest place to begin with I think the I think the ghost and mirrors and the the low keenness of it leaves a lot of things open to resent to a lot of resentment and a lot of gossip and I think those two things have no space should have no space in a creative industry.
because it stifles creativity and it makes things not about art anymore and things start to become about politics. And I think people should have the creative freedom to collaborate, whether it's on raps or whatever, because why should singing music get to be collaborative and get to be so great because so many great minds came together to make it and we have to force rap to stay in this little box where it doesn't get to do that. Um, and I, and this is with all due respect to the roots of hip hop. I know the roots of hip hop. I know where, you know, but hip hop has a different place in the world than it had before. I think a lot of it is the same, but I think it's grown past the point where it needs to be about, you know, it's not on a street level where it's like, you have to prove yourself. And I think that's a level of it, but I think it's more than that. So it doesn't negate that part of it, but we still need to make room for other approaches to the to the art form. And, you know, what if we never, what if Kanye West didn't use, you know, other writers or, you know, or Dr. Dre or, you know, so many people, you know, I'm pretty sure there are much more. And honestly, a lot of our favorite rappers make a lot of money off of ghostwriting for other people, you know, so that's another reason why it's never going to stop because all of the guys that you guys are championing and guys and girls that you guys are championing for writing all their raps are also making money writing everyone else's raps. Um, so let's just say it when we do it. If we're ghostwriting, let's say we're ghostwriting. If we're, if we're collaborating on a rap, let's say we're collaborating on a rap. And when I say ghostwriting and collaborating, I'm not talking about one line here and there. Because honestly, in the industry, one line can get you a writing credit. You know, a word switch can get you a writing credit. Having 10 people on a song, you know, may mean that 10 people are in the studio and they might have all been throwing ideas out, you know, for you know, the sequencing of things and, oh, where this should go and, th- and maybe say this, maybe say that. But, you know, that one or two people may have actually written the bulk of it, you know. But when we're talking about actually someone actually making substantial contributions to work, I think that needs to be more open and I think it needs to be more honest. And, you know, we need to be unapologetic about it, you know. I feel like in hip-hop there is so much people get away with. So I don't think everybody should be so scared of that. You know, there are so much people out here who don't have any lyrical prowess on their own anyway. So, and they, you know, they're on the charts, but that's another story. (laughs) Um, so there's Cardi B and hip hop's ghostwriting dilemma. Tell me what you think of that stuff. Um, let's talk about Brockhampton. Brockhampton's deal with RCA Records was announced Friday, and it's worth more than $15 million for six albums over three years, according to sources at major labels. I have two angles about this, because on one hand, while it singles recovery in the industry in terms of how much labels are making and how much they're willing to allocate to artists, on the other hand, I also want to know why Brockhampton felt like they needed to sign. So let's play with the latter first. When I first heard the news, I sort of felt uh, about it. Not that I don't think Brockhampton deserves that contract, and not that I don't think they deserve $15 million, but I'd like to think that they were well on their way to making that kind of money themselves. In fact, their contract reportedly doesn't even include touring and merchandise, which means that the label has so much faith in Brockhampton that they're only taking a cut of the streaming and sales money. 
this also could have something to do with the fact that Brockhampton has is 15 members strong. So RCA expected them to be a gift that keeps on giving of sorts. The deal is very indicative of this recent turn in the industry of a flood the market business model, which as we've seen, Brockhampton is very capable of. Their deal spans, once again, three years and six albums, and I presume that means that the label is expecting two projects from them a year, which in terms of full-length LPs is only now becoming common, but I'm not sure how much this really benefits Brockhampton. I see the benefit for the label, I'm not sure I'm seeing it for Brockhampton. Kevin tweeted, and I quote, Nothing changes. We still in this living room making songs, making out, and all of that. RCA just going to help us push this gay agenda. Now, I'm all for pushing a gay agenda. But couldn't we have kept all our streaming revenue and went to a reputable PR firm for, you know, for, for the marketing power that we need, that we're looking for at a label? I think that Brockhampton has thus far done all the work themselves and have gained more attention than lots of major label artists and I think they can sell out shows and they can book festivals and all types of venues and so I it really does leave me to wonder how much the label can do for them that they can't do on their own or at least that they aren't well on their way to doing on their own within the next year or two um while keeping more of the profit And I feel like if the big dogs are telling you that your machine is already working, then why hand it over to them? Especially when you can easily do most of your work, especially when you do easily do most of your work in-house and have built yourselves up enough to have, you know, more resources to do even more. And I think that if a trans the rapper can propel himself to to the Grammys indie style and achieve mainstream notoriety, I think Brockhampton could do it 15 times over. Um, the other side of this is that this does signal some good trends for artists coming into the industry now, because, you know, now that streaming has become a stable foundation for everything, the majors are less scared of spending money than they were in the aughts and the early 2010s. So this means that we can now hope to see more innovation come from major label artists, because being different undeniably works now. Cookie Cutter is on its way out, if you ask me, with the democratization that the internet has brought to how we consume music. I don't have to listen to what's on the radio. I don't have to listen to what's on MTV. I don't have to listen to what's on VH1, BT, whatever. You know, I can turn it off and I can go listen to what I want within seconds. So... It le- that leaves more space for diversity. And I think also with Spotify going public now, major labels can expect lots more cash coming their way. So I guess the industry is starting to find its footing again, you know, after piracy kind of came and shook the table. And I think that, yeah, I think, I think it, it signals some good stuff too. Cheers to that. But all in all, congrats to Brock, to Brock, uh, congrats to Brockhampton. <laughs> These are just my thoughts, and I trust that they've made the best decision for themselves. And as long as they keep giving us the amazing music, I got no beef. Make your money, do your thing. So let's switch gears. I'm sure anyone with any reasonable access to the internet or radio has noticed that the billboard is currently crawling with a new guard of hip-hop artists that are less than wholesome in their personal lives. 
we've mostly left this era of gangster rap where we knew we were listening to potential and sometimes known murderers and we identified with their sincere get it how you live narratives of sacrifice and struggle violence has always been a hotly debated topic in hip-hop and who we should support in hip-hop has always been hotly debated but i can't help but feel like today's gang of artists are different these artists are unapologetic serial abusers raising ranging from verbal to physical and sexual at the same time as they are having chart success releasing successful projects And their crimes are out there in monstrous and gruesome detail. And they strike me so differently than the story of the gangster who had to get rid of somebody years ago and now feels remorse and is making sad songs about it and wants forgiveness from God and his family and his friends. These artists are celebrated and promoted to chart success almost as if they're America's sweethearts. And it's because this is they're what the people want. And I wonder, you know, why are people okay with it? And I think it's for the same reason that man is in the Oval Office. It's a resistance and a backlash to our recent movements of social responsibility and wokeness. And I think for many people, it feels liberating, you know, it feels liberating to the socially lazy, lazy general public to deviate from the refined, finely packaged messages that are now popular. The messages of acceptance and, and, and thinking about other people. Another angle is that in the clicks are king internet driven industry. Whoever can get the most press wins. So we end up exalting the wildest, most deviant personalities because they drive traffic and bring in coins to the media. And algorithms on social platforms then work in favor of these artists and push them even more. I think another thing to consider is that children have more access than ever to these artists. And most of their fans who are driving their streaming numbers up are no older than 15. It's an invisible market that's hard to see because, of course, kids aren't at the shows because, for the most part, they're too young. And especially for the type of venues that are willing to host artists of their uh, casts. And I think all the kids are a lot more smarter these days than even around 20 years ago when I was born. Children don't have much of a grasp on social responsibility, if any, and just want to hear their favorite songs. And a lot of these... Really, a lot of this really reminds me of like emo and punk waves. I feel like those genres were largely not driven by adults in terms of who's listening. More so emo than like punk. But what can we do now? I think it's important to send the message that you can't just openly abuse people or abuse people at all and be a successful millionaire. And while that hasn't been true, unfortunately, in entertainment or any industry... I think it needs to become true. And I think that is what powers things like the Me Too movement. But the music industry hasn't really had its Me Too movement. And I think it needs to have a Me Too movement. I think we, I think, I think Kesha opened a door for a lot of those things. But if you notice, a lot of the industry was very quiet about that. And a lot of people were not at her side. And uh, the, even the people who were at her side were very timid. So I think the music industry still has a ways to go in terms of 
holding abusers accountable. I think it's very much rigged in favor of the abusers, just like Hollywood is. But I think that Hollywood... I don't know. It, they just had a breaking point, and I think the music industry needs to have a breaking point like that. We need to hold these abusers responsible for their actions. And I think the adults in the industry and the people in control need to not be afraid to stay out of a trend for the sake of being socially responsible and sending the right messages instead of the messages that make money. And, of course, some things can be helped, but if top writers and program directors can refuse to review and support certain artists that are morally unjust, I think we can at least put a cap on how far they can go without cleaning up their act. And it's less about punishing them and more about not pushing those images to the masses for them to think it's acceptable, for the kids to think it's acceptable, for artists who are coming up to think that that's okay. Some of these artists think that this is what people want from them, and it's not okay. And I think that some might argue that it's very hard in art to stay in the moral clear when you're navigating the swaths of musicians that come and go. And I definitely don't want music to become a super sterile environment, because that's really not the point. That really, you know, art comes from dirt, you know, art comes from dirty things, art comes from all kinds of emotions, you know, so I don't want it to become a sterile place. But the point is that there should be some standards. And as people in the industry who are passionate about music and culture, I think we need to step up to the plate and curate more responsibly. All right, that's it for this episode. Let me know what you guys think. Connect with me on Twitter at Cruel Cassius. And... I'll see you next time. This has been Cassie's World. Ciao.